Hello, Harvest. Um, it's really, really good to be here. My name is Vincent Jeremita. Uh, I am a deacon with Eternal City Church. We meet in Wilkinsburg. Um, as Josh said, I'm a friend of Pastor Mike's. Actually, we met not long ago in, a, in, an, in an ice cream shop. Yeah, we just kind of met by accident. Um, I guess that's a good reason to go out for ice cream. You never know who you're going to meet. It could turn a really good f- friendship, and that's what it did. Um, and so he asked me to come out here to um, share this message. I'm very excited. I love this story that we're going to be going over um, today in Mark. And, um, but first, I'd like to tell you um, a, a story about myself and kind of share with you the kind of things that I've been studying recently, the things that have been going um, through my head that have really shaped the way that I've been um, studying Scripture, and this passage is no exception here. Um, so some of you I got the privilege to um, meet beforehand um, and talk to you, and some of you might be able to pick up on it now, but a big thing um, and a big part of my life that's been um, there since I was born was when I talk, I stutter. I stutter when I speak, and so you can imagine um, how that feels, public speaking. Um, it's not a fun thing for a lot of people anyway, but being up here um, and having a speech impediment. And so if you don't know, stuttering is um, a speech impediment disorder. It affects about 1% of the people in the world. Um, and when you talk, the parts of your speech that make speech don't play as a team. And so it uh, happens a lot when I say my name. If I introduce myself to you, odds are it sounded like Vince. That's how um, that word and a lot of other words will come out from time to time. Um, and one story, as I was thinking through um, a story to share, I thought back to one of the first times that I realized um, my stuttering affecting me. And it was when I was way back in like second grade. I was a young child, um, and I was in school at the time, and I was sitting at my desk, and the teacher had asked a question that I knew the answer to, 100% knew the answer. And it's a really cool thing. Now as a, as a, as a grown-up, I have um, younger children in my life. I have brothers and sisters. I have the opportunity to uh, teach the kids at my church. Um, and it's really cool when you see them know the answer to a question, they light up. Their eyes get really bright, and they're so excited, and it's cool to see that happen. Well, that's what's happening to me. The teacher asked the question, and I knew it. I don't remember the question, but I knew the answer, and I shot my hand up, and I'm in my desk, and the teacher called on me. I was so excited to give the answer, and the stuttering kicked in. And it was way worse then, because I'm not actually sure the science behind why that is, but as a kid, it can be more exaggerated. So I'm sitting in my chair, and I go to say the word, and I can't get it out. And as a kid, I used to throw my head back like this when I would speak. And so I'm sitting there, ah, uh, ah, uh, and I'm sliding my chair back, but I'm not going to give up. I'm undeterred. I'm still going to say the answer of this question. And so I'm fighting, and I'm taking a break, trying again. And the teacher finally screams over me, stop, stop talking, shh. And so I shushed, everyone else shushed, everyone looked at me, 
And then she said, we'll get somebody else to answer the question. And she called on some other kid. And I sat there helpless as somebody got the glory that I wanted for answering the question. And I bring that up because for a long time, that story um, shaped a lot of the way that I saw myself. It shaped the way I saw, especially the way I would relate to other people. Because, you know, when your communication is hindered in that way and you're worried about what people might think of you, when you go to say your name and it doesn't come out normally like anybody else would, um, that story, and a lot of stories like it, I could tell a lot, but that was the first one that I remember, for a long time shaped it. And if, 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 if I hadn't had um, met and had an encounter with Christ that radically changed everything about who I am, I would never be on a stage doing anything in front of anybody. I would um, very um, happily probably not talk to any of you. <laughs> that would that'd be something I'd be happy to do. But because the stories that shaped who I thought I was, what I thought the world was, how I thought I had to orient myself to be safe, to be prosperous, to, to, um, to be a success. Ultimately, I, I might not have said this myself then, but what I thought would save me was shaped by these stories. And so as we go into this text, um, we see guys who are shaped by their environment. They make decisions, and they are living out two opposite um, to opposite ends of what they think might save them. They're trying to answer the questions that the world has. And so, um, and so I would like to go right into the text today, um, right now, into Mark 2, chapter, th- thir- chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, open up. We're going to read through it, and then we're going to talk through it um, together. Okay, and so it starts in verse 13. It says, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they, had, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came, to call the right, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so... We're going to jump into that and kind of take it verse by verse and explain what's happening. Um, In the context, if you haven't been here for the whole series, um, the the Gospel of Mark is actually one of my favorite Gospels to read out of and teach out of. It's it's structured very fast-paced. He hits a lot of the highlights. It's like the action movie version of the Gospel. And so... We're only in chapter 2, but a lot has happened. Jesus has come and was baptized, and he goes on um, this uh, spree, if you will, of teaching and casting out demons and healing the sick. Um, And most recently, 
Um, I was here last week. I got to hear Pastor Mike talk on the healing of the paralyzed man. Um, and that's what just recently happened, this miraculous story. And before Jesus goes out and proves and shows that he is God, he is powerful to heal and to forgive sins and to cast out demons, um, he says this one sentence. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And that's kind of like the lens that I've been looking through um, as I was going through this text. And this is kind of like the, 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 um, kind of like a superhero catchphrase sort of a thing that he says. He talks about this kingdom of God. It's at hand. It's near. There's an urgency to it. And he gives this command to repent and believe and the gospel. And so he just has shown that he's powerful to forgive sins, forgave the sins of the paralyzed man. And in this um, text, it says that he went out again beside the sea. And so that gives us the that gives us the clue that this story happened very shortly after the past story. So the commotion with them tearing the roof off and um, dropping the paralyzed man down, he was healed, his sins are forgiven, happened just before this, and he goes out again, and he's walking down the road. He's walking down the road, and he's teaching this crowd that had gathered along. And so that's the scene that's happening here. And he sees this guy, Levi. Levi's a tax collector. We know that because he's sitting at a tax booth. And the way that um, it would have worked back then is tax collectors um, were no more loved in the ancient world than the IRS is loved today, um, but actually even more so. They were despised. They were treated, um, they were treated as traitors to their own people because somebody like Levi, being a Jewish man, um, working at a tax booth, what that meant was that he had bought into the Roman Empire and he had, he, he had a franchise, if you will, to collect taxes. And he would have been set up on a booth on the side of the road, kind of like a toll booth, like, like, the, like the turnpike is and, and something like that. And he'd been sitting there at the, the booth and his job was to collect the taxes for the people that were traveling along this road. And these tax collectors were known to give um, like arbitrary and random taxes. Someone would come by with a wagon of hay and he would decide what he would give in the tax. And not only would he collect for Rome, but these tax collectors would add on for themselves. And so they would put the money in their own pocket from their own people and they would get rich and everybody else hated them. That was the way it worked back then with tax collectors and the rest of the Jewish people. And so Jesus is walking by this road. He's walking by the tax booth. And a bunch of people would have walked by, right? This is a very busy road. Levi's sitting there. He would have seen um, many teachers walk by. Uh, The Pharisees would have walked by, many people. And I'm sure that as he's sitting there, um, he's... He's heard the stories of Jesus, and he's heard, um, and he's heard what's happening. Because like, like we just said, this had just happened, the story of him healing the paralyzed man. Maybe even the paralyzed man was walking past with his four, well, he wasn't walking. The four friends were carrying him past before, and he saw him walking back. That could have 
been what he saw. And so he's sitting there, and he would have been hated by the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers um, because of this position that he willingly took of being a tax collector and being a traitor to his people. And it was actually um, some teachers at the time actually would teach that it was righteous to lie and deceive tax collectors um, because of um, their, their, their dishonesty. They had reasoned in their own hearts that it would be okay to be dishonest to them because that's how low they were. They would have been um, one of the worst of sinners. And so Jesus is walking by, and the crowds are gathering around him. They're hearing him teach. There's many people in the crowds, and they would expect him to walk right past this guy. They all walked right past this guy, kind of put their eyes down, avoid eye contact. Let's not talk to the tax collector. That would have been ex- expected, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, it says here, as he's walking along, he, he sees him and he walks over to him, and he just simply says, follow me. And Jesus has said, follow me, to a couple other people. We've, we've read that in the first chapter, and he tells Levi to follow me, and it says he did. Um, and if you read this story in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5, you see that um, Luke adds a little, little bit more onto it. It says, Jesus said, follow me. And Luke says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed Jesus. What happened there was Levi's life was changed. Levi was, um, he had decided that his position as a tax collector, the money that he made was worth what he was getting in ridicule from the people that walked by. It was worth what he was getting um, um, from all of the religious leaders. He would have been banned from the synagogues. That was okay because just like I had said, the way I had shaped a vision of who I was based on stories, he would have shaped a vision of what was going to save him? And his answer might have been something like, money is going to save me. Being wealthy, having a position in the Roman Empire as a tax collector, that's worth it. That's going to save me. And so it was worth it for him to go through all these social hardships in order to um, get the thing he, that was going to save him. And so he's sitting here in his tax booth, and Jesus walks over and radically changes his life. He says, follow me, and he did. And so what would have to happen for somebody to decide that this path that I'm on is no longer the path I'm going to be on? I'm going to completely change because likely when he leaves and he says, I'm no longer this tax collector, I'm going to give up my booth, that position would have been eagerly filled by somebody else. And so he's not going back. He had turned around. He had decided to follow Jesus. Jesus called, and it was um, an irresistible call. It's like the the parable that Jesus tells about um, the man that finds a treasure in a field and sells everything to go get the treasure. That's what we're seeing here happen, right? It would be like 
children fighting over a toy, right? You've seen children fight over a toy, maybe like a toy train, and they're fighting, give it to me, it's mine. And then imagine in that scenario, their parent or the adult in charge says, hey guys, we're going to go to Disney World. Immediately the toys drop. The toy that they were getting ready to go to blows over is dropped behind them, and this is way better. And so that's what's happening here to Levi, is Jesus says to follow me. He's offered to, he's, he's offered to um, change what he has for something greater. And you can tell that he sees it's, it's greater. He knows that what he's doing is sin. It's, it's, it's easy to compare the worthlessness of his life with what Jesus is offering. And so he gets up, he leaves everything, and he follows. Jesus came and called Levi, and that's Levi's response. And so Levi is excited about this. His life has changed. He's a brand new person following Jesus, and he goes and he collects all of his friends, which we find out is more tax collectors and sinners, because those would have been the only people that would associate with somebody like Levi. Somebody like a tax collector would be more tax collectors and the other people who would be morally corrupt. And so he gathers them and he has a party and he invites Jesus. He wants to then bring his friends and those that he's close to, to the man that changed his life. And he does. And he's having a party with them. And it says that many, many followed him. It said he rose and followed him and they as he reclined at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And now let's go to uh, verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors. And so there's this other group that is in the crowd. They would have been in the crowd with Jesus as he was walking down the street teaching. And they are the scribes and the Pharisees. And these guys are like the gold medal law keepers. They, unlike Levi, who decided to disregard the law in pursuit of pleasure and money and whatever he thought was right to seek his, his, his answers that way, these guys went the opposite direction. And they said, we're going to keep the law and we're going to be better than everybody else because of our law keeping. That's what's going to save us. And so they were the um, religious um, Super athletes, if you will. Like an athlete can be at the top level. They were at the top level of following the law and doing the right thing um, according to the law, observing the Sabbath and their tithes and these sorts of um, laws. And so they're watching. And so they're walking with Jesus. And you can imagine kind of what they would be thinking as they're watching, as they're walking with this teacher, right? This guy was um, this guy had come kind of out of nowhere. He starts healing people. He starts casting out demons. He teaches 
in the synagogue in a way that he says it's not like any other teacher teaches. He teaches like someone with authority. And so they're interested and, and, and they're, they're always the ones who are making comments. They're always the ones who are, who are saying, um, who, who, who are asking Jesus questions. They're the ones who when the paralytic man came through the ceiling and Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, it was them who said, um, who, who not said, but in their minds reason, doesn't he know that only God can forgive sins, right? These are the guys who, who are trying to um, um, measure up their law-keeping, their self-made righteousness with Jesus. They might think he's a peer of theirs. And so as they're w- 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 walking along, um, they would be um, confused at the fact that Jesus um, is stopping and associating with a tax collector like Levi. They would expect, um, they would expect a, a teacher to recognize their good deeds, their law-keeping, um, they would expect to be a peer of his. Um, and so um, you can imagine their, their confusion that he even stops and walks over and that he looks at Levi and he calls Levi to himself, but that he's now eating with them. This would be the equivalent of today. If Jesus was here today, he would be not only going out to a bar with sinners, but like the worst of bars. He would, be, he would be associating with people that would appear to be um, dirty to these Pharisees and these religious men. And so they would be, um, that they would be confused, offended, and, and outraged by this teacher who is breaking apart everything that they think is right. He's turning it on their head. They had set up a system in their minds of we will save ourselves by, um, by our good deeds, by our works. God should be proud of us. God owes us something, a reward. Our salvation is won by us. And Jesus goes over and he calls this tax collector to follow him. He has no credentials. He's not trained in the synagogues. He's not even allowed into the synagogues. And rather than any of these guys, he calls this tax collector to follow him. And he does. And then he goes to the tax collector's house and he meets with the tax collector's friends and they follow him. And so there's something that they're missing as they're looking at what Jesus is doing. He's not quite what what they think he is, right? They think he's one thing, but he's proving over and over again to shake what they think is true, and they're confused by this. And so they say to his disciples, they say, why is he... Why is he eating with these tax collectors and sinners? Explain it. Why, why would he be doing this? 
and Jesus overhears him. Jesus overhears what he has to say, and he answers simply, I came, I'm sorry, I lost my text. (laughs) And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so this statement um, would have kind of, um, would have kind of rocked their world, right? To have this rabbi, you'd expect him to come and say, I've come for others who are learned, others who, who have kept the law. I came for them to follow me, and then we will create the kingdom with your might. But he says, I've come for the sinners, I've come for the sick. I'm a physician. Jesus has just shown with the paralytic man that he has the power to forgive sins, right? Jesus knows what he's here for. Jesus knows he is here to forgive the sins of sinners. And so he goes to the sinners and he forgives their sins. And these people who have spent their lives studying and following the law completely miss it. They completely, it goes over their head. They don't understand why he would be doing that. He says simply, a physician wouldn't come for those who are well. And now what he means by well, as we know, and as we're going to talk about, is not actually well, right? So what he's painting here is kind of like a picture of a guy who's sitting in a doctor's office and he's like hacking up a lung and, and, and he's obviously sick. And the doctor says, hey, what's wrong? What are your symptoms? And the guy says, I don't have any. I'm fine. I don't even know what I'm doing here. And, and, and the doctor would say, well, I, I, have no, I have no reason to continue seeing you. I'm not going to help you. I can't help you because you won't tell me what's wrong. That's what he's saying here is these guys, when he says, I came to call, to call the sinners, they may have said, okay, cool. What about us? What are you going to do? with us completely missing this point that everybody um, is sick and a sinner, but some can't see their sickness or their sin. And so he, he, he says this, um, this phrase of, um, I came to call not the righteous, but the sinner. And I want to parallel this to another story um, that we find in the Gospels. And I think this will help us to, to see what's happening here. Because we have one group of the tax collectors and the sinners, and they sought to find their salvation through open rebellion. They, they, they got rid of the... the, the they decided that they were not going to uh, follow the law. They were going to um, try to stack up their wealth, their pleasure. And Jesus comes to them and he offers this new way, this kingdom, and many follow him, Levi being um, the, the, the first. And then these tax collectors totally miss it. And so In Luke, we have another story of a similar thing happening. And so 
Um, in Luke 15, chapter 2, uh, I mean, Luke 15, 1 and 2, we see the same group of people around Jesus again. And it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. And these guys were always drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so this is another story where the exact same thing is happening. And Jesus is um, in the same situation, but this time he doesn't just say, I've come to call sinners. He tells stories. He tells parables. Um, He tells three, one about sheep, one about a lost coin, and the last one is about two sons. And starting in verse 11, we're going to go through this parable of the prodigal son, or you could also translate it the parable of a father and two sons. And starting in verse 11, it says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Okay, and so he's telling a story. He's telling a parable that would have made perfect sense to the people that were listening. He's telling a story about a a household that at this point would seem like a normal household. It would seem like a father and two sons who are um, under him, living in his household. But the younger son says to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. So he's asking his father for his inheritance. He's saying, I want the stuff I would get if you were dead. And so he's telling his father, I wish you were dead. I don't want you. I just want the stuff I get from you. And so you give that to me and I'll be happy. And it says that he divided his property between them. And so now we hear what happens with the younger brother. It says, many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so this younger son, who had told the father that, I wish you were dead. I want the stuff that I would get if you were dead, so give that to me. He goes off, and he squanders that money. He just buys what he thinks will make him happy. He goes to the parties he thinks will make him happy. He has no, no no thought of the father in his mind as he's doing these things. And this is an obvious um, comparison to the sinners and the tax collectors. They did the same thing, right? And, 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 and we do the same thing. When we take um, the, when we take the, the things that God has given us, our energy, our gifts, our money, and we just throw them all into what we think will make us happy, what we think will ultimately save us. And so that's what this son did. He went off and he took all that he had. But um, look here in verse 12, it says he divided his property between them. And so he gave the older son his share of the property. He divided it between them. And so he goes off and he spends and squanders the property on what is called reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country because that doesn't last for long. That, 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 that life of just spending and getting and filling every desire as it comes doesn't last for long. Um, and that's what this guy sees here. Um, there's a famine in the country and he began to need. His money ran out. He was no longer the rich young kid he was needy. And so he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And this would have been a low job. He would have been at the rock bottom, the, 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 the rock star, fast-paced life that he was living began to sour. And he had wasted all that he had, and he was still empty. He wasn't any better off. He was, he, was, he was lost. And he's feeding these pigs, and he's doing the lowest of the job. And he says, and it says, but when he came to himself, he had this idea. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He decides to um, come back to the father, but not to be the father's son. See, he had already figured that he wasn't good enough to be the son. And he would be right in the normal context. The listeners of this parable would think, yeah, you can't come back and be his son. Maybe you won't even be his servant. In fact, many of the listeners would expect the father to beat the younger son for the um, disrespect that he showed. But he comes up with this plan. He says, I'm, I'm just wasting away here. He was desperate. And he comes back to his father. There are many wonderful stories of salvation where people on their last leg offer up a prayer or walk into church. And they're not, they have no love in their heart for God. They don't know what they're doing. They're at their wits end and they, and, and they come back saying, maybe I can find a little bit of relief. Maybe I can find um, somehow to make a deal with God. Many people have Pray to deal with God. God, if you save me from this, I promise I will never do X again. And I know people who that is the start of their relationship with the love of God comes from that sort of a deal. It's not from a love of God. It's I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get burned with this. And so that's what this son did. He, he didn't have some sort of immediate love for his father. He just decided... It's better than eating this slop, actually less than slop. It says that he wishes he had what the pigs had. And so he goes to the father. And he arose and he came to his father, but he was still a long way off. And the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand 
and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. You see, the father cut him off. The father didn't let him finish what he was saying. And actually it says when he saw him a far way off, the father ran to him, which in that culture would have never happened. That's why a lot of um, interpretations in the Middle Eastern culture have called this story the, the parable of the running father. Because to them, that's the odd part of the story is the fact that this father would have had to lift up his robe and run after his son who had already given him so much grief and disrespect. And he runs and the son gets out half of his plan. He says, listen, I'm not worthy to be your son. I've sinned. And the father hugs on him and he brings him back in and he gives him the best of everything. And he, and, he, and he gives this reason here, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They killed the fattened calf. And so that's a parable that sort of sums up actually a lot of people's story, but definitely sums up the story of Levi. Levi was much like that son. And his friends, the other tax collectors and sinners, were much like that son. And many people, I'm sure many people live even here, were much like that son. They had taken the gifts that God had given them and they had squandered them for years. They had chased whatever they thought would make them happy, money, drugs, any sort of pleasure that would think would just solve their problems and it didn't. And they have come back. The father actually ran to them and he showed his love to the son, and he celebrated with the son. And so that was the first group. That is how they responded. And now Jesus is saying to the older son, the older son, he was out in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He said, that's weird. There wasn't a party planned, right? And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And so this angered the older brother and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered to his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so Jesus is telling this story around sinners and tax collectors and the scribes and the Pharisees. And so as he's talking about this older brother, you can't help but see the parallel. The brother, as we looked at before, the property was divided between them both. Both sons, their hearts were far from the father. You can see it in the way that he says here, he was, he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and he said, look at all these years I've served you. I've been here serving you, doing the right thing. And I never disobeyed your 
command. And you have never even given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Nothing in there shows that this older son had love for the father. Actually, in, in the, in the re- re- reading of this, they would have understood that, that the older brother was just as far from the father. He was just as separated in his heart from the father. His heart wasn't with him, but he was there. And he says, you owe me at least the young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Notice he doesn't even want to celebrate with the father. He wants to take his goat and go have a party with his friends and not with the father. And he says, this son of yours, he doesn't see the joy that is in his father's heart at this brother coming back. And so the story ends there. There's no conclusion. The story ends with the father pleading to his oldest son, come in to the party, celebrate. This brother who had left me, who had treated me as dead, has come back and he's enjoying my love. I love him and he now has love for me. And he's saying to him, will you come in? Will you come in to the party? Will you recognize that your heart isn't for me? You have no love for me. You have checked off these boxes of duty. But, there's, but you can also come in. And we can celebrate for you as well. And it ends there because the question would have been left to the Pharisees. The question would have been left, do you realize that you need to come back to the Father? Or in our text, do you realize that I came for the sick and you are sick? I came for the sinners, you are sinners. Jesus illuminates that more um, in the book of Matthew when when he sort of exposes the Pharisees' hearts. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Self-indulgence, You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. They had this exterior that looked good, that followed the rules, that checked the boxes, and didn't realize that they were sick. And so, just like in the story where the father's pleading with the son and Jesus would have turned to the Pharisees and said, what is your answer? It would have been the same sort of feeling when he says, I came for the sick. And the obvious question is, are you sick? And this goes back to what Jesus said at the beginning of the book of Mark when he goes and starts his ministry, he says um, that the, the kingdom is near. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Levi did. You can intuit that from his following Jesus, that he repented and he believed the gospel. But what does that mean, to repent? What, what do we need to do? Well, we need to do what Levi did. It says he left everything and he followed Jesus. He left the things that he thought would save him. He left the identity that he had built about himself and about the world 
and he left that behind. He left it behind in his tax booth, and he followed Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is what Jesus had come to do. We're reading the working out of the good news. And the good news is that Jesus, as it says in 1 John 4.10, and in this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not that we love God and so he rewards us with the forgiveness of our sins, with the promise of the kingdom of heaven. It's that he loved us. Neither of the sons loved the father, but the father loved his sons. And so the question is, are you sick? Are you a sinner? Are you clinging to your own system of what's going to save you? Do you have to handle your, do you have to handle your own sin? Do you have to clean yourself up before you can come to God? Or can you, like the younger brother, just go to the father? Jesus, Jesus did not come for the righteous, but for the sinners, and to call them to repentance. And so, will we repent and believe the gospel? Will we turn and leave behind the things that we think will save us, the, the system we built up in our own minds? Will we leave behind the identity of what we think we are? And will we believe that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the one who died for our sins? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.